Hello and welcome to episode 139 of In The Move Podcast. I'm Callum Reid. Oh, I'm Peter Shepard. And happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> They're out in force at work, so um, I was good and came home. Because ah. <laughs> I remember last year, there were loads of Irish singers that ended up in this bar and came home and did the podcast and was quite merry. I was going to say, <laughs> lustful over... Magic Mike or something. <laughs> <laughs> I will be soon in July. Yeah. But yeah, so... The sequel, this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I can't handle my drink very well. Mm. As you know. Because mm. you could drink, like, loads, right? Well, I used to be able to drink more. <laughs> <laughs> Just to biology <laughs> allowed me to. But you lost, yeah, because you lost however many stone, right? Five. Five? Yeah. That's so, got to make a difference. Yeah, the difference is I can only drink um, 4% beer now as opposed to five. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned me into literally a lightweight. <laughs> well, I'm drinking beer now, but I should be drinking Advocar. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. We might get into an argument about this one. How random is that? Well, not that. It's just that have people got no memories at all? Sunderland were down. They were dead. Poyet provides a miracle. Without that man, Sunderland are in the championship right now. Sunderland are not in the relegation zone. And you get sacked, I just don't get the lack. But I suppose you could say the same thing happened with Decanio. Yeah. I don't think... um, This is football talk for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Um... I don't think he was responsible for the miracle, put it that way. Because he came... You think Conor Wickham was? (laughs) Well, he took over 10 games in, so and we got into a real rut by the time that the miracle came around, so I don't really think it was some great... If you look at his record, it's not very good. No. 30% win rate. But, I I mean, I, I like the guy, but I do think... At some point... We would go down... Uh, we point, might still go down. At some point, the players have got to take responsibility. I, but I, I do think um, uh, the, a valid point is that Sunderland don't have a style at all under Poyet. We don't have a striker. Mm. Mm. Anyway, film podcast, film podcast, film podcast. Yeah, uh, quick mention on Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, well, if you'd have said to me before the weekend that um, Chelsea would extend their lead, I would have, uh, when Man City had Burnley and we had Southampton, I would have snapped your hand off. Like what and been knocked out of the Champions League? That's fine. Oh no 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 no. Well, obviously it's it's a atrocious result, but uh, if it helps us win the league, then I'm all for it. It was a terrible, terrible match. The first <laughs> half, anyway. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. Right. So uh, preconception news. <laughs> news. Um, fashion place. Mm. Yeah. The the exodus is happening. Really, <laughs> Kathy Griffin has left Fashion Place. Re- already, 
already after seven episodes. Oh my god. Uh, saying that it her style of humour did not fit with the show and she doesn't really want to participate in criticising people for their weight or looks. Right. Isn't that the whole point of the show? Well, the whole point's the fashion, but yeah. obviously things not come into it. Yeah, yeah. So she should have known that. Mm. That seems like a cop out, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And she's just leaving the sinking ship. Mm. Right. My bit of news, which I just saw on um, IMDb, is uh, Anthony Mackie to star in a Jesse Owens film. Wow. Now, my first thought was Anthony Mackie's quite good, actually. I think I really enjoy him in certain things. Yeah, but oh, my, he's in that Channing Tatum thing, isn't he? That you like ten years, yeah, yeah. But um, I, my second thought was, how old is the man? <laughs> mid thirties, yeah, 30s? yeah, exactly. And um, Owens must have been what mid twenties when that happened. So, but what about the whole? Um, how old is Bozeman? True. True. I mean, he kind when he, of been, he, when he, he was playing Jackie, yeah. Jackie, when Jackie Robinson broke in. But the thing is, Jackie Robinson, he had played in the um, uh, uh, minors for a long time beforehand. I think he was about 25. Right. Probably, yeah. but then Bozeman's not 25, so. Well, who would you cast instead, though? What? Oh, young black actor in his uh, mid-20s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What Could, about that guy? Who's that guy you liked in um, Arbitrage? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nate, but he was good. Nate Parker, I think he might be a bit older than we, than we think because he was in Nonstop, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Nate Parker is about the same age. Actually, he's about my age. Right. Yeah. So old. To be to be fair, they don't <laughs> look they don't look mid thirties though either. No, of them, I wouldn't no. say. Jesse Owens though, that means somebody's got to play Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> or, or unless you go all good night and good luck and just have him as the uh, I think that's the way to go with that one what do you mean have um uh have um user uh, archival footage oh I see yeah because that's going to take away from it mm. I don't think it's the kind of like supporting actor ownage type thing <laughs> get, Bru- get Bruno Gans back <laughs> <laughs> banging the table <laughs> Bang in the air, turnstiles. <laughs> While Alexandra Maria Lara, more on her later, cries outside. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Okay, um, yeah, I've had a couple of deaths this week. Uh, the first being Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. The author, I haven't actually seen any adaptation he did um, of his work, but he was, he was more like TV... Uh, yes. wasn't he? Yeah, the sort of um, hog father that you're a, a sky trying to go prestige type thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. What was it going postal or something? I think it was yeah. one of them. Um, but, you know, mm. prolific, and he had Alzheimer's. Mm. And on the subject of Alzheimer's, the director of Still Alice, uh, Richard Glatzer, also died this week. Really? From ALS. God. Which, oh, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, because it was directed by two people, wasn't it? I don't know. But she, I know that um, she did mention in her Oscar speech that um, he had ALS. Mm. 
Mm. And I don't think it was very well known. And it's obviously, you know, a month later, less than yeah. a month later, and he's uh, died. So he must have been in a pretty bad way when she she made the speech. But he also did um, that Robin Hood film. with uh, No, the Errol Flynn film, Kevin Klein. Oh, my God, I forgot that existed. The Last of Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, and he did a film called Quinceanera. Which I've heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also The Fluffer. <laughs> which sounds interesting. <laughs> One of the tools in uh, Duke of Burgundy. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So, obviously, very sad news there. Mm. Precon? Yes. Oh, should we do. Do you want to do red light first? Yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. Right, we're going to do red light district. This is um, once, kind of once a month where we say what we've seen that isn't from the current year in film or isn't out in the cinemas at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, first of them I've mentioned is Gervais from 1956. I want to see that because of the BAFTA uh, nominations from the time. Yeah, and she won, Maria Schell won Venice. Michelle was a good little actress. Actually, she was in a film called *The Hanging Tree*, which is um, uh, like late mid to late fifties. She's very good in it. That's a ra- that's a random one. Thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't even. Uh, it's, that sounded as if I like knew you were going to say that as well, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> no, I welcome random <laughs> mentions. Um, it's, I think it's Bob Mitchum, but don't quote me. Um, it's someone like that, officer. She's also in The Mark as well with uh, Stuart Whitman in the 60s. I think she mm. must have gone over to Hollywood for a little bit after this. Mm. But that's the reason I was I saw it because 56 is a bit of a wasteland for me, an actress. Oh, yeah. Uh, apart from John Crawford in Autumn Leaves. He's mm. awesome. Nah. Um, this, But this is based on an Emil Zola novel. Uh, it's directed by René Clément. Um, who did Forbidden Games, which I haven't seen, but mm-hmm. of great renown. And it's about a laundress who, uh, her husband's a waste of space, leaves her. She gets into a fight with a woman at the uh, in the laundry room. Um, this fight, the gusto that she shows in the fight leads her next husband to like her, but he turns out to be a waste of space as well. Mm. And there may be revenge coming from the um, the woman she has a fight with. So it's a bit melodramatic, mm. um, but it's really good. And Marie Shell is really, really great. Just to pimp uh, my uh, best, you talking about this actress, 1956. Yeah. I would go with uh, Virginia McKenna in A Town Like Alice. Uh, I might which be. Is, which, is a, which is a Norman Shute adaptation. Uh, Karina Banerjee in A Paragito, that's a amazing film oh that's such as it ray trilogy yeah uh, trilogy yeah avu apu i'm just combining ava gardner and the apu trilogy there <laughs> <laughs> ava gardner bowani junction which um uh shoots probably the one the first thing she was really really good in. uh and then uh bergman and anastasia and debbie carr in tea and sympathy gets the win for me when you speak of her speak kindly I want to see Teen Sympathy. I do not like Bergman and Anastasia. Really? No. Well, the thing is with Teen Sympathy, it took, I, it took eight years for that to come online. I mean, ridiculous amount of time. 
And I think I had to download it eventually. Um, it's a player, right? It. Is it a famous player? Yes, yes. I think, uh, yes, it, it, it was a very famous player at the time, yeah. Um, speaking of Virginia McKenna, yeah. um, my second film <laughs> no, stars nice. Virginia it's McKenna. It's almost as if we planned this stuff. <laughs> we actually don't. Seamless, seamless. And the film is called The Smallest Show on Earth. It's from 1957. Is this back to the uh, a film about the um, uh, thing on Facebook about the uh, average penis size from 15,000 men being 5.3 inches? <laughs> no, but you did mention that last week. <laughs> I think it was off the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the guys at work was very taken by that. I'm huge! <laughs> I think that's just propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> to make men feel better about themselves. Yeah. Get the birth rate up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it? He suck my slightly above average sized cock. <laughs> <laughs> well, the podcast is nothing if not topical. No, obviously, yeah. Um, yeah, so the smallest show on earth. Um, it's about a couple who inherit a old rundown movie theatre. Um, this isn't cinema. this isn't the Iris Axe film of me and you. <laughs> <laughs> In about fifty years' time, when I go and live with Marissa Tomei, <laughs> <laughs> which is the dream, by the way. <laughs> FYI, <laughs> even in fifty years, <laughs> life's greatest achievement. <laughs> <laughs> so this couple inherit a cinema from the guy's long lost uncle, and they think, "Oh my god, we've got a cinema." sell out make so much money turns out it's this run down hole in the ground called mm. the flea pit and, um, <laughs> awesome run by three peter sellers um margaret rutherford and some other guy mm. um who are just i mean not they're not useless but they're weird um so great great plot set up so i thought this is going to be entertaining it's not quite as fun as it should be mm-hmm. it's not as funny as it should be um, but it's very watchable it's only 75 minutes or something mm. so it's worth checking out definitely if you're kind of late at night or you want something light hearted then yeah it's Capra-esque it's got the whole rival cinema the guy the rival cinema wants to buy them out to flatten the, the place so it's got all the nice cuddly family elements to it as well. Mm. Right, um, just a bit more information on the hanging tree for you. <laughs> Fire away. It's Gary Cooper and Carl Malden, and it's George C. Scott's film debut. Wow. Uh, and uh, it must be old. Fifty-nine, uh, nominated for an Oscar for a god awful song. that's always the way (laughs) yeah directed by it's like on the beach it's the same year as on the beach isn't it it is yeah yeah. (laughs) and um, I think it's written by I recognise I'm trying to find why I recognise this guy's name Uh, is is it written by it can't be written by that bloke no Um, no he's a TV guy Uh, written by the bloke who did Anatomy of a Murder which George C. Scott was also in. Exactly, yes. And that's a great film. That's an absolute stone-cold classic. Yeah. 
Long, but great. Oh, yeah, but yeah. The thing is, and also, what you've got to remember about the anatomy of murder is that just the use of the word panties was considered really edgy at the time. But then all Otto Preminger films were edgy in one way or another back then. Yeah. They're pu- pushing, the, pushing the code as far as yeah. it could go until it broke. I think that, that was one of the films that broke it, actually. Okay. Um, my final film, you know what this is? I've forgotten what this is. <laughs> it's Pele the Conqueror. Oh, yes. <laughs> From 1987. Yeah. Uh, which... Won. It won the foreign film. Uh, Max got yeah. nominated. One, uh, uh, we're just going to mention one every week, apparently, after James Woods himself <laughs> all last week. M- Max, w- w- what an absolutely uh, inspired nomination yes. that was. Yes, he's wonderful. Really good. Um, it's such a beautiful film. The cinematography, the colour palette is drained, but gorgeous. Well, it's blessed oh. by the setting. The setting is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh. But it, yeah, it's just it's lovely. It's just um, it's not manipulative either, really. Yeah, you know, it, it's mm. the end of the film's sad um, and moving, but it's not. Uh, it's not in your face, you know. It's it's an understated film, which it easily couldn't have mm. been. No. Oh well. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this is Bill Beer August. Yes. 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 Um, well, this the thing. This was. Is it quite interesting? It's like um, this was in the late eighties for foreign film, kind of what Britain was for the Oscars in Best Picture, because in, in the beginning of the decade, because you had um, Charles Fire and Gandhi winning back to back, and you thought it was like the beginning of this like new wave of um, British cinema. But then, what that actually made the Oscars do in terms of. Um, uh, the, the industry in general is they went really insular uh, after that which was a shame because I mean the 80s was full of wonderful world cinema and, and I think for, for quite a few years after that uh, uh, in the mid 80s I think from like 78 till till Max maybe or was it Marcello in Dark Eyes around then uh, nobody got nominated in, for a foreign language performance it was that yeah. ridiculous but uh, but with um, this it was Pella the Conqueror and um, Babette's Feast back to back and so he thought well Okay, great. Denmark are going to become major, major players now. Uh, it's going, to be, but it was another false dawn, and where just as British cinema just fell off the cliff until well, Four Weddings and Train Spotting came along in the mid nineties. Yeah. So um, it was the same with Denmark until um, Mr. Trier and his buddies turned. Up. Yeah, and in I mean American cinema and British cinema in the eighties kind of. Poor. Funds were cut as well, which doesn't help, and mm. you know. Yeah, but I mean, I, I maintain that eighty-seven for world cinema is absolutely. I think it's one of the. I think it's easily the best year of the decade. And I mean, because you've got stuff like, um, uh, is it Au Revoir Les Enfants yeah. that year, eighty-seven? Yeah. You've got. Um, um, I'm not going to do this on top of my head. I've actually got it right in front of me now. <laughs> You've got uh, Barrett's Feast, Blind Chance, um, Kieslowski, um, Wings of Desire. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, with, with those five, Wings of Desire, Barrett's Feast, uh, this, Appel of the Conqueror, Blind Ch- Chance, and Oliver O'Leon Farm. I mean, wow. Good stuff. 
Mm. Is it my second? And Red Sorghum as well. Uh, Zhang Yimou's debut. <laughs> I've not seen that. <laughs> well, no. Well, Gong Li's debut oh, as well, I think. <laughs> the uh, the uh, film that united them in love. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that lasted quite a while, actually. Was it 96, Shanghai Tried? And then she decided to marry him. How to Marry a Millionaire was going to be her real life role. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Preconceptions. Right. Yeah. This week we are doing uh, The Duke of Burgundy, Sweet Francais, Still Life, and Run All Night. So, Calvino, your preconceptions, if you please, for The Duke of Burgundy. The Duke of Burgundy. Um, it's by Peter Strickland, and I liked. Catalin Varga a lot. Uh, Babirian Sound Studio I thought was pretty good. I didn't like it as much as you. Um, well, I didn't like it that much. Oh, did you not? <laughs> I think it was like a. I think it was like a six out of ten. Oh. But I loved, I loved um, Toby Jones. Oh, okay. And the woman was it Fatma? Fatma Mohammed, yeah. Who's it? Who's in the Duke of Is she? Mm. Is she the blonde? I think okay. so, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So, Peter Strickland was a plus because I, I think he's made two, at least, quite good films. Um, mm. The f- I knew that the film was about a lesbian relationship and I knew that the lesbian relationship was kinky. Right. And that was all I knew. So, uh, also... Right. Um, Sid Sabarit Nudson, I knew she was in it and I thought she was really brilliant in After the Wedding. Mm. Um, right. Um, I originally knew that Nudson <laughs> was in it, but I'd completely forgotten by the time I went in there. By the time I went in there, all I remembered was that it was a piece of Strickland film. And that was it. That was all I knew. I, I thought walking oh. in. Um, <laughs> So, so for Peter Strickland, I, I was I was walking into the actual cinema thinking, okay, Catelyn Varga was decent, uh, but then uh, didn't really like the way it ended, and uh, Barbarian Sound Studio was decent, and I didn't really like the way that it ended. Uh, but I think both those films are well acted, so I was expecting something well acted, and I was ex- I was expecting um, something. That would be a bit of a throwback because both of those films are in different ways, um, and so then it's more like preconceptions, as in like when you get the um, <laughs> when you get the. Uh, I almost had a uh, blue is the warmest color moment when the BBFC certificate came up and it said contains uh, fetish sex scenes, and there was a sixty a couple in there in there at least. A couple of pensionable age <laughs> in front of me, and I'm thinking, "What are you two doing of here?" Pensionable really? age. <laughs> but then, as soon as it said Sid to Babette Knudsen, I thought, "Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that now." But so for her, I just think, "Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> how how to how to put this?" She's a stunningly good-looking woman, um, but she's also really good in, on Borgen or on on TV. Uh, where she plays the Danish Prime Minister. Um, she's uh, very good in After... I think she, mm, Is she the pick of the bunch in After the Wedding? No, um, Last Guard's the pick of the bunch in uh, After the Wedding. But she was... But she's... Um, 
I think she's one of these people who's just really stupidly talented because uh, she can do very big comedy well without really funnily without going over the top. Um, and um, so I like her in comedy. I like her in drama. She was in the uh, the one and only, which was uh, Susie Beers, the one that made her really, really, really big. Uh, but uh, yeah, so her being in it is a massive plus. Uh, and Fatma Mohammed, I did really, uh, really, really like in the Bavarian Sound Studio. Okay. Mm. Um, so, uh, so sweet say yeah. me. Um, I'd forgotten until the very last. So it's not a preconception because I'd forgotten going in. But Saul is Bib or Dib. Dib. God, his name is. Yeah. If I'd have known, <laughs> it would have been a massive negative. <laughs> Because the Duchess is just an appalling atrocity <laughs> against celluloid and celluloid. Any anything 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 beginning with C, it's a, it's a disgrace too. It's a horrific piece of cinema um, that fails on every conceivable level. I mean, I almost lit up a cigarette after I reviewed that on my on my blog back in the day. No, I think actually no, the, the, I think it was the other way around. It was depressing reviewing it, slating that. I didn't even enjoy it. Um, uh, so that's a ma- that would have been a massive negative, but I've forgotten about it. So uh, <laughs> Michelle Williams, a performer I like, I think she's nice and natural. She's usually good. Um, Schoenarts, I was um, I didn't think he was going to be good in this, quite frankly. Even though I am more intrigued by him now after the drop, yeah. but just based on the trailer, the trailer looked frankly quite lame, and um, that um, the story looked. I thought it was going to be a tough sell to get a French woman to fall in love with an occupying Nazi in a believable and satisfying way dramatically. Okay. I didn't see this. Ha! And it's the second Matai Schoenert's film that I haven't seen in a row. Bad gay man. Terrible. Bad gay man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will see the next one because I've already seen it. Because it's the Rick Well, no, because no, apparently every single film that's out at the moment is starring Matai And that all period, which is interesting. <laughs> And all foreign accents. Like he's trying to get the um, convincing romantic interest. Get himself some Mm. rom-coms with Mm. Catherine Heigl. I was going to say, it's like uh, Love Happens too. This this time it's Judy. (laughs) No. Never, sadly. (laughs) It's never going to be. (laughs) You keep convincing yourself. Can you imagine that storyline? Judy Greer. (laughs) <laughs> whose best friends all have spectacularly good-looking women, look-looking men, meets Matthias Schoenhartz, who plays her local butcher. <laughs> yeah, that's more like delicatessens too. <laughs> it'd be like a Cairo time. After offering her some Belgian sausage. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, anyway, yes, I did know it was from Saul Dib who did The Duchess. I thought The Duchess was not very good. Fine. Uh, not okay. great. I think, like, C, maybe. Um, do you know, speaking, coming back on ourselves, Susie Beer was supposed to do The Duchess originally. God. Which is why the, um, uh, screenplays by Anders Thomas Jensen, which I can't believe. Well, Rafe, can we say something positive? Rafe Fiennes is good. He is good in that, yeah. But it's a, and Hayley Atwell. Hmm. No, no. 
Um, no. So yeah, I didn't see this. Hayley Atwell was really good in Jimmy by my all is by my side. That's the positive thing we'll say about okay. Hayley Atwell. Um, I didn't. Uh, Michelle Williams would have been a plus. Kristen would have been a plus. Oh, I forgot about Kristen. Yeah, on issues there. Yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, still life. I oh, didn't have time. I read the plot synopsis and thought that was interesting and it was very short. So, okay. yeah. Uh, Run All Night. Run All Night. This is a Yam Collis, Sarah and Liam Neeson's third film. The other two, I think, were very, very entertaining. And um, based on that, I didn't love... Un- Unknown. I had a lot of problems with Unknown, but it's the kind of film I would buy on DVD regardless. So yeah. them two together was really exciting for me. Um, and I didn't know anything about the plot. I knew Ed Harris was in it. Ed Harris can be mm. insufferable, but um, <laughs> he's usually uh, pretty solid. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, Jean Colisera, um didn't see House of Wax. Didn't great. see goal two. Didn't see goal two. Living the oh, dream. Really? He's didn't see. Didn't see orphan. Orphans. Um, orphans. Is that so fun? It's great. It's really. Um, is that uh, very yeah. Vega? I mean, it's it's got it's yeah. the same as unknown. I think it's got problems, but it's really really fun to watch. But mm. well, I did. I I thought unknown was probably the most underrated film of that year. Um, just because I thought it was one of the few films where you have a massive twist and you, you before the twist you're thinking there's no way they can actually bring this all together and it yeah. makes sense and then they do the twist and you're like yeah actually that does explain everything so that, that's why I think it's like quite impressive uh, from a, just from a purely writing standpoint they can't, ex- can't um, explain January Jones' terrible acting though well nothing can <laughs> uh, non-stop I thought it was fine for what it was uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe I was more harsh on it at the time. I can't remember, but uh, I seem to remember giving it like thinking it was average. Um, I couldn't be hard, that harsh with anything with Julian Allen, there, surely. Um, so, um, but um, Neeson, uh, ever since Batman Begins, I've really taken. Uh, uh, I believed him as a bad guy. I liked. I like most of his. I I don't dislike pretty much any of his new um, uh, actionish films, and I think it's actually really refreshing that a guy can get in his fifties reinvent himself in this way in such a popular. Um, genre. Yeah, I yeah. We can talk about this later. <laughs> mm. So um, yeah, uh, preconceptions for the actual film. Um, I was just expecting a um, u- usual ne- Liam Neeson badass um, going around killing people type film. Yes. Mm. All right. So the Duke of Burgundy. Um, I'll, I may as well do this one. Okay, it's not too hard. Yeah, I don't want to do run all night. No, no pun intended. <laughs> okay, so the Duke of Burgundy. It's about a uh, woman played by Sita Babbitt Nudson, who is a expert on butterflies and moths. Um, she's in a house. Uh, lives in a big house on her own in the countryside. She's also an expert in looking smoking, <laughs> no matter what her age is. Very true. Blessed with um, good bones. Good God. Good um, <laughs> Lives in a big country house. Um, one day, a housekeeper slash maid knocks on her door. Um, she lets them in. And she's particularly abusive to the maid. 
insidiously abusive, would you say? Not violent, but I like wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say abusive. She doesn't necessarily She abuses um, her she position. Wouldn't get, she she wouldn't get she wouldn't get sent off for foul and abusive language, but she definitely abuses her position. Yeah, yes. She abused her position as a housekeeper, as an authority figure. And mm. from then on the two women, uh, the other woman's played by Chiara Dana, um and from then on the two women engage in a relationship of kinky sexual sorts. A lesbian relationship, basically. So the natural comparison piece is obviously the Dukes of Hazard. I mean a fifty shades of grey. <laugh> I c I wouldn't even thought to compare the two films, quite honestly. Really? Not really. Really? Isn't that as soon as I saw the kinky fetish thing on the BBFC sticker I thought I just thought No, I know, I know some... the the comparison, but I wouldn't have even thought to compare them. They're just so different. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. Um, but can you imagine if this film got like one percent of uh, Shades of Grey's uh, budget? Thing? Do you think? People, do you think uh, women would come out more well, as disappointed with this film as they well, or as well? I suppose there's nothing to be underwhelmed by because you're not going in with any expectations. But do you think women would get more of what they were after with Fifty Shades of Grey with this film than Fifty Shades of Grey gave them? Um, well, firstly, there's no men in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the cock is quite a bit of a, an absence from this for, for the, your regular woman. But, I, I mean, I think in this, it's less based on character, this film, than Fifty Shades of oh, Grey. Yeah. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I still think that you get uh, as much, well, probably more out of the, more psychology, more, more psychology. psychology, less. Yeah, and that's why I think it's impressive. I, I flat out loved this film. Mm. Um, uh, the opening credits, I just, I was just hooked from the opening credits. It's that old, like old style sixties Hammer Horror seven, style, seven set and seventies. Um, trashy porn yeah. combined. Yeah. Well, not porn, but like blue movies. Uh, and f- that's, for me, that is the absolute most impressive thing about this film is that it looks exactly like those like those films from the 70s and 60s used to. Yeah. Yeah. The cinematography is unbelievable. It's pitch perfect. It really is. And uh, when you consider that this guy, Nicholas Nolan, <laughs> has been doing TV primarily. I mean, he, he has been working for um, uh, well, Strickland before, but he's been doing Silent Witness, he's been doing um, Agatha Christie's Marple, <laughs> Shake, Robin Hood, the, the TV show, Criminal Justice. He's basically been making his money uh, in, in in British TV. And who knew he could uncork this? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Strickland must have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. He's he's let him off the leash. The vision. This, this this is what I want. Go go do it. Yeah. And it's. I mean, the, the framing is. The framing as well complements the relationship. Mm. You know, at times. I mean, it, it just like who's ahead in the frame. It, it just mm. feels like it mirrors how their relationship shifts through time. And all, and also, what I would say is that it. It recalls and is a complete homage to that era, but but it doesn't look like a piece of crap 
like some of those films tended to do. Uh, this this never looks less than um, gorgeous in what in what it's doing. Yeah, it's like I mean, I like Inland Empire a lot, mm. but I don't. I'm assuming this is digital. Is it Duke of Burgundy? No, I'll try and find out. But I mean, yeah, sure. but I mean, like, because Inland Empire's got this really dirty. I mean, I think they've got comparisons the way that they use colours um, mm. Duke of Burgundy and Inland Empire but Inland, in Inland Empire it's sort of grimy and but in this it's just it's like a piece of art you know mm. it's like impressionistic it's really amazing um, what well what do you think of the relationship then because you think this is the best thing about it do, do you have problems with the relationship or um, not really I, I kind of like the moment 10 or 15 minutes in when um, yeah by the way this is digital yeah um, okay. it's just shot on Ari Alexa um, uh, I like the moment when it shifts because it starts off with you uh, uh, thinking that Knudsen is just this um, ridiculously heinous cow yeah and then and then you start seeing scenes from her perspective and realize that it's actually the uh, and that's that is psychologically interesting that it the dominant person in the relationship is actually the submissive person in, in this uh fantasy that they're role playing out yeah mm-hmm. and that's not a spoiler because it happens very early on that the, the, that that is revealed yeah and um i I think that is inherently interesting I just think I think my problem with it is more in terms of tone. Because uh, it does go into there's a lot of I don't know if you call it Schadenfreude or just um, just flat out giggling at what was going on because of the randomness of it all. Uh, it, but um, well, there's a scene. I agree with you. I think it's so interesting that she's um, that she's almost bored by it mm. by what she started. Yeah. And there's a scene where she's in bed and she's. Um, Playing, pleasuring, herself, pleasuring herself. Not herself. Is she? Is it? No. She's playing with Kiara and talking yeah. dirty to her. I thought Kiara was playing with herself while... Uh, oh, maybe. Okay, maybe. Mm, yeah. Mm. And she ends up kind of loop... Like, she's talking through the fantasy. Yeah. She ends up looping back on the fantasy and saying it a different way. Yeah, just say the beginning again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then she's saying, and then she says, "Next time, be firmer," or "Next time, be more convincing." Yeah, and you just think, "Wow, it's just a, it's just a really interesting way of showing how um, somebody who previously was somebody who was taken in can suddenly be more sexual and be the person initiating all of a sudden." Mm. Mm. So. And it's sort of like the butterflies as well. I think this is this is going to sound really weird, but I think the point of the butterflies is that um, the character Kiara's character is goes through a similar cycle mm. in terms of like she starts as just like a some, something to trod on, and then needs security, and then finally emerges into this kind of sexual monster that can't really contain herself. Mm. Um. Um, what? What I? Because I, I was sort of in the previous films. I think it. I think Strickland doesn't end them well. Yeah. 
and I just wish he'd have ended this a little bit sooner. Um, when? When uh, and you only get, it's only makes sense if um, uh, if, if you see the film. There's a, there's a scene where he literally moves the camera into yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In, in between Knudsen's legs and if you actually look at where the character got to at the point of where that, that uh, scene begins where you realise that very this is not this is the opposite of a Chris Nolan film where it's been featured uh, when you got to that point in the story you realise that for, for uh, Sidsa everything for her in this relationship is to do with the sex and the sexual acting and, and, and uh, whereas for Akiara it's all about the humiliation and uh, that's the uh, that's the that's what's bringing them to it and you know that can't when they when but their motives for being in that relationship are so uh, disparate and so uh, opposite ends of the spectrum yeah it can't work long term and it can't last and then they and then so the camera just goes into goes into her legs and then goes off into something else and then comes back out of it and then goes off, then they go and do something else again if they just ended it there you've said all you need to say there you don't need to have to you don't need to suggest how things might go or uh, try and wrap it up or try and say like, that this is where their relationship's going in the future blah 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 you you can just end it there and you don't need any of that and so I do I do think you kind of well that may, that's just me me wanting a bit more economy but I don't know I think I think that would have been I think that image as well just end the film um, you, you mean yeah, after, would, you mean after it does all that kind of no 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 before just it, no 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 as it goes in in between the legs and then you, know, you don't have any of that what's going to get what's going to happen and then it, then it comes back out just end it as it's going in because you've seen the look on her on each of their faces when basically she's walking into the room and uh, and Newton's waiting for her to do what she wants, do what Knudsen wants to do, and the look on both of their faces is showing exactly what's happening in that scenario and, it, and, what, and in that relationship because Kiara doesn't really want to do it. That's not what she's there for, <laughs> and Knudsen is just so desperate because of what she's been having to put up with. This is her reward. Yeah, and I think especially with that image, that, that image of just going going there <laughs> would be would have been a, it would have been a very daring and quite brilliant way to end the film but he's he obviously had other ideas yeah and then it sort of it's loops at the end doesn't it and kind of yeah yeah, yeah. so but last 20 minutes Nudson knocks it out of the park yeah absolutely out of the park I was we're worried talking, we're talking Barry Bond splashdown <laughs> I was out. I was really worried in the first 15 minutes because I was I thought she was over the top Mm. But then, but the rest you of the film, why. <laughs> she's just awesome. Like when she starts crying, and um, the reaction to the um, her cleaning the boots of the yeah Fatma, or is the it? Fatma Muhammad, yeah, it's just spot on. Because she know, and that 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 that's the closest it gets to Chris Nolan. Because you know that anyway. You know that that for uh, Kiara, that's um. That's her thing, yeah. And so that's it's actually wor- it's actually worse than anything else that she could do. But um, I think, um, what do you think of the score? I liked it. Oh. With the tone, it's it's very reminiscent of that that that. I mean, it, it is a total homage to what to that era to, to that era. Oh right, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of of filmmaking, yeah. 
and that and that genre. Yeah, and it's clever making um, this story part of that genre. It's there was a film I watched uh, called Symptoms. I did it in red light a few months ago, and it was I feel like Strickland seen it. It was from the seventies. It was British. It was about lesbians in a country house. It was a horror film. Mm. It was at Cannes. I think there's there's definitely elements of that in there, but there were, where there wasn't a proper character dynamic in that film, this is just so much stronger. Mm. Mm. Um, great. I've actually been really positive <laughs> watching <laughs> the great. The great for me is five out of ten. I think oh? it's. I think. I think it's okay. Uh, I. I think. As good as Kuzan was, I thought I didn't get much out of Kiara's performance, and uh, I think the tone is too unbalanced in terms of the randomness of it all uh, to fully carry it through. In the end, it's quite underwhelming, but I think it has a lot of strengths. For a five out of ten, it has a lot of strengths. I'm going to give it an A minus, and okay. I think that this will take some serious beating, especially for mm. director. I think, um, mm. yeah, but yeah, uh, cool. Sweet Francais. Yes, uh, me. Right, Sweet Francais is set in France in the during the Second World War. We are introduced to a country house with uh, no men because they're all at war. Kristen Scott Thomas is the matriarch of said chateau, and uh, she's a local uh, landowner who uh, is in pretty two uh, D villainous ways. Um, making sure, make, making sure that she can uh, um, milk all the in, in the most King John in the, when, Robin. You know, the, the Disney Robin Hood. Oh, awesome. where, he, where, he's, where he's the lion? Although we don't have a Sir Hiss to go along. With. <laughs> what a brilliant film, by the way! That's a great. Vi- what a, a funny villain as well. Just great. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that scene where they're doing the jailbreak with when they're getting all the. Uh, all the bags of gold out on the uh, yeah the washing the line it's brilliant <laughs> the thing is people say what's your favourite animated film so if you take out all the Pixar's that's probably it I love it anyway digression over <laughs> so um, she, she's a, a sort of like semi-evil uh, uh, landowner Michelle Williams is her uh, daughter-in-law is that the term daughter-in-law yes daughter-in-law um, and uh, she's very quiet, very reserved w- uh, woman who does not necessarily share uh, Chris Scott Thomas's maniacal glee for um, extracting uh, the coins from Margot Robbie's parents. <laughs> I did know Margot Robbie was in this, actually. <laughs> I bet, did that come as a surprise? <laughs> Don't say the word. Don't oh, say the word. Sorry. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Cue the onset of World War Two. Cue the capitulation of the French. Cue Matthias Schoenart being uh, billeted. It's the first time we'll ever use that verb on the podcast. It's not a bad one when it comes to him. Schoenart <laughs> <laughs> so, is billeted in Christopher uh, uh, Thomas's house. And uh, despite her insistence that uh, William not talk to him, she obviously doesn't know anything about um, the psychology of her. Uh, uh, women, when it can do not speak, to whatever you do, do not speak to that Belgian beefcake. Hi, hi, Matty, how you doing? <laughs> a relationship ensues, along with many other shenanigans involving Sam Riley and uh, 
Hitler's secretary, who's now playing Jewish. What? Oh, Alexandra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we just start with how wasted, as talent, ridiculously talented an actress as Alexandra Maria Lara is in this film? Why? Just had nothing to do but just put her hands in a prayer position and just cry over her daughter. God. What's wrong with the daughter? Nothing, but it's just like, what, 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 I can't actually give her a decent role. Seriously. Anyway. What about the romance thing? Because you said you had doubts that they could make the romance work. Yeah. Um, well, I think there, there's one plot device that they use to try and really explain it. And... Um, I don't think it's excessively convincing, but I don't think uh, that as it's shown, um, it's entirely unconvincing either. Um, I think other, I think the film has far more other problems in terms of trying to convince rather than um, uh, the actual nuts and bolts of whether they actually fancy each other or not. I know whether that's believable. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about when you go through the plot rundown. I was just thinking about. How depressing it must have been with all the men at war. Well, yeah, it's like... It's, I mean, what is just it, supposed uh, to knit. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> There'd be a lot but of it's... patchwork quilts to get out that frustration. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, that's an interesting part of this, which is never really looked at at all. And um, the sort of... Um, I don't know. Well, it's, Roby's character is the only one who sort of like says, well, yeah... Um, they're better than our men um, in terms of like, in terms of like the char- their characters or what have you. But there's never it's never looked at this, uh, and you well because of what happened to Williams's husband and the revelations that happened there. Um, they're never looking at it in terms of uh, uh, is there any sort of guilt on her part for for feelings she might have in terms of having a husband. There's never any guilt in terms of. Um, uh, or looking at the really interesting thing, which is that this is the enemy. They never, they, the people will say it, but then the women are just like, oh, no, muscles, fit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so all the sort of like interesting psychological possibilities for any of the young women in that um, scenario are completely ignored. Right. Uh, but. Um, but Kristen's against him then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think. Um, Making Schoenart's artistic and um, does break down barriers. And it's it's a it's a an a good. It's kind of reminded me of a promise uh, in a way, in terms of like how um, uh, he- hearing uh, someone express himself on the piano in the, the in, uh, back before there was um, TV or anything like that, and uh, you have the proximity with somebody who you shouldn't be with. I thought there was a few parallels there, and it's it's, it's a interesting uh, cinematic way of um, uh, showing desire on screen by just a, or intrigue on screen when you just have the piano coming over and you've just got to, uh, the mystery of it all hmm. uh, what yeah because I wouldn't think that Matthias Schoenitz was a particularly sensitive actor no I mean no I mean Rustin Bond I think Rustin Bond did break down some barriers there um because, I mean, even though he's quite brutish in it, there's mm. still, like, there's the 
there's the sense that he cares about Marion and about the kid, you know, mm. through that. Well, in Bullhead, the character. Yeah, I mean, in Bullhead, he was literally just a hunk of meat. Yeah. Um, and this is where you say, "And what a hunk of meat!" <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but I think he has been progressively getting more interesting and showing more, think, more aspects to his um, range, shall we say? But um, I didn't. I think it, him as artistic isn't excessively convincing but I think for it, it's just more just the problems with just the general plotting uh, especially in the final third um, really derailed the film from being as good as it could be because I think it's decent I think it's watchable um, I think the performances in general are quite appealing there's no real false note on show that I can think of off the top of my head what about Kristen no, well, you could, I suppose you could make the argument that um, it's a bit um, disjointed right. at, uh, uh, between various aspects of her personality. But I did buy um, with what happens with Sam Riley and um, uh, Williams. Uh, I did buy that, uh, what that Kristen would go in that direction, given uh, her reaction to the Nazis turning up there immediately. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, she doesn't have much of a character. It's just a, a bit of a, like a two D Disney villain. Yeah. Great. Um, five out of ten. I think it's watchable, but um, I think it's so fraught with uh, would they really act that way? Problems, given especially in the last twenty minutes. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. Very nice, very, very well put together, though. I was very surprised. Okay, so Still Life. This is um, directed by Pasolini. Not that one. A new one. <laughs> um, it stars Eddie Marsan as a guy who works for the council. And his job is basically to collect the possessions of people who die who don't have families mm. or an ex of kin um, and try and contact or direct direct an ex of kin and try and contact people from um, who might be connected with them and arrange the funerals for these people right. uh, he is gets his marching orders from the council because they're downsizing and his last case is this guy who um, was an alcoholic and uh, um, he ends up by chance happening upon the guy's family, namely Joanne Froggart, who is his daughter, and things develop from there. Mm-hmm. And... No. <laughs> Why you say no? A little bit of half sigh there. <laughs> it's not very good. Um, I, I the problem I have with it is that I don't think Pasolini ever quite figures out what tone he wants the film to take. Mm-hmm. So you get because a lot of it's very somber, but then with when the when Marsan gets sacked, it's sort of like the guy who's um, sacking him from the council is so gleefully sacking him it's like he's really not caring and it's sort of like when you're making a serious film and then you're trying to like 
you've got some absolute dick who's um asked the boss it's sort of like well what are you trying to say why is the random bits of comedy random bits of weirdness in here you know why aren't they playing it straight down the nose with this yeah. why isn't Kevin Spacey threatening to uh, file a lawsuit against him <laughs> what's that a reference to American Beauty when he gets sacked and says can you can you prove that you didn't uh, offer for me to blow you well this is the thing right Eddie Marsan is a downtrodden person in this he wouldn't say boo to a goose so you don't have you know, it's it's just belabouring the point, the fact yeah. that he's nasty to him. Um, and it's sort of like, I feel like the director's seen being there too many times. Yeah. Which is not a good film. I don't care what yeah. anyone says. It's sort of like... Well, I hate Peter Sellers, so I preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir. What, even in Doctor Strangelove? Well, that's all right. Okay. But being there, it's just a chore of a film. And it's like, it's so wallowing. And this film is like, it's got this flap wallowing feel to it with the cute, or not cute, but with the harmless character at the centre of it. And I feel like because he's put this harmless character, Wallflower, at the centre of it, he won't really commit to being cute or whimsy, but he feels like that's enough, you know, because you've got somebody who you can't possibly dislike in the middle of it, who's so sympathetic that that's supposed to drive the narrative when I don't think that he d- builds the narrative properly around the situation. And it's like, there are some staggeringly unconvincing scenes. Um, hmm. He just goes into the chip shop and uh, finds... <laughs> You're describing me last night when I was in the middle of cooking my uh, three three pound ribeye steak <laughs> from Tesco Express. Oh my god! <laughs> well, by three pound, I mean in terms of how much it costs rather than how much it weighs. Well, I got that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like he goes in the chips. Sh- it's like night trade at Lisbon. It's like he goes where he goes at the opticians, and he's like. <laughs> Some random woman gives him a life story and it's connected to that guy from the past. It's like this is like he goes into the chip shop and he finds out about it just happens that this uh, woman who works at the chip shop is the mother of Joanne Frogger. I thought you were going to say it's morbidly obese because she just keeps on eating all the profits. No, no. She's, well, she's not thin. No, we, ca- we can't. We're getting to Kathy Griffin territory here. We'll have, oh, to, leave, we'll have to leave the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like but um yeah it's and she just volunteers this information that Joanne Froggett's actual father is not the guy she's married to but this other guy who's died and it's like well where's this come from you've you've only just met Eddie Marsan two you minutes ago guy, yeah. so and I don't really get why I don't get the scene where uh, Marsan first meets Froggett that doesn't play out convincingly I was never understood. I never really understood why he was compelled by this particular dead guy in the first place to pursue all of this. Mm. I just think the film could have done with so many tweaks, writing-wise, um, to get it to where it needed to be. Mm. Um, and the ending is Schindler's List esque. Oh, I'm not kidding you. 
How do we feel about the ending to Schindler's List? It takes a start, almost a start off the film. Really? Mm. For years, it was the reason I didn't give it a nine. I didn't give it a ten out of ten. What do you do now? No. All right. It's not the most offensive thing I find about the film. I like a good film, great film. Oh, excellent film. Um, but it has that element to it, and it's like it felt to me like the ended. Like it felt to me like the director had about three scenes in his mind before he made the film, and this was one of them. Right. And everything in between those three scenes is padded out and doesn't really work. Doesn't really work. But having said that, Marsan is good. He's incredibly patient because this is a very patient film, patient film to watch. Um, and he's very patient character. He's a methodical character, and he does very well with what he's given. Mm. And it is watchable, um, but I do have a lot of problems with it. So it's a C. I don't really think you'd like it that much, honestly. No. So. No. Uh, Roger Deakins talking about the camera with which uh, the Duke of Burgundy was shot. He said, it's a game changer at the moment. It's been coming for a long time, but really with this particular camera, I believe digital has finally surpassed the film in terms of quality. Well, I definitely, I mean, that's, it looks like film, but I, I figured that they couldn't afford film. He used, um, uh, he used this camera, for the, Deakins used this camera for the first time on In Time. What? But, but he, um, shot, but he also shot Skyfall with it. Okay. So, I mean, that just looks amazing. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know about In Time. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> God, least least um, least least good is that even the word? Least good um, redhead ever <laughs> in terms of safe Oh my god! I, mean, I love redheads, but come on, no. I don't think I made it to that point. Actually, I think it brought down really? by then. God, I think it broke down when they cast Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he needed a different redhead to be good than baseball <laughs> Britney was a redhead at one point no yeah but he wasn't good then <laughs> <laughs> alright tell us about Run All Night Run All Night is about the Irish mob <laughs> and Liam Neeson is the um Probably the most prolific grave digger slash assassin in the most or least Michael Shannon ways. I can't quite decide. There was a vibe. Um, there was a vibe there. Yeah, um, but he is a dishevelled um, shadow of his former self. That's the um, the character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bit of a joke to everybody uh, involved. Again, the character. <laughs> <laughs> And he has an estranged son. Uh, he's, he's estranged from all of his family. 
Uh, Ed Harris seems to be his only friend in the world. Really? Um, well, uh, no, no. I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, so, Ed Harris seems to be his only real pal who seems to give him around. Ed Harris is the local kingpin. Uh, Ed Harris's son is completely off the rails. One night, he decides to uh, off a couple of Ukraine, Ukrainian? No, not Ukrainian. Um, what are they? Chechnyan? So, I mean, I don't know. Putin wants to invade them, whoever they are. Yeah, yeah. A couple of gangsters are trying to um, um, uh, fl- uh, sell heroin with um, uh, Harris' permission. Harris refuses. Uh, the son's taking a lot of money off him, and he, he ends up uh, uh, offing them to, uh, in order to save himself. Neeson's son witnesses this. Harris's son decides to go and kill Neeson's son because he's just a, um, get, obviously got the taste for it. And uh, Neeson turns up and uh, prevents him from doing that with lethal force. <laughs> Q, um, I mean, it's not a spoiler because it's been used in the promotional material for the film. So then uh, Harris wants not his son back because he's not Angelina Jolie. <laughs> but he wants Neeson to pay for what he's done. Yeah. Um, obviously it's contrived in the way that it <laughs> did that sound suitably apologetic obviously it is contrived in the way that it pits the two men against each other but yeah, because of their sons because of their sons but I think every scene between Neeson and Harris is like dynamite. Yes. And Har- Harris is really good. Yeah. There's a moment where they're sat in a restaurant and Harris says to him something like, We're gonna sit here and I'm gonna see how dead those eyes look without your boy in the world. Yeah. And I was thinking, oof. It's like and it's it- kinda of like the scene in Heat. It's the kind of, it's like kinda of like the coffee shop scene in Heat. Where it's like it's like the, the we've got them together and it's like the showdown scene before everything kicks off. Yeah, the calm. Yeah, and it's like I don't think it's the script. I mean, the script is. I think the script's fine, but mm, I think it's, okay, it's yeah. more the. It's it is definitely the acting that elevates it. Yeah, it's it's like Unforgiven. It's like um, I mean, even David David Peoples said when he watched Unforgiven at the end when you got Hackman and um, Eastwood. He said. Did I write that? Because that's not what. Because that's not what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it amps it up. It amps the stakes up, um, and it 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 just makes it makes it compelling. Which I I definitely had a great time watching the film, even though I think it's got some problems. Mm, I think. Oh yeah, I think the problems more stem in just the. I'm not going to say predictability, but just the sort of like... Standardness yeah. of the... Well, it recalls a lot of things when it's on the trains. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, when on the trains, I was thinking, it's like, well, you're just using trains instead of reeds and it's the end of uh, We Own the Night. <laughs> or, or things like that. And um, you just... Um, I think on... In general, it's probably about on par with um, uh, Walking on the Tombstones. Mm. But um, I, uh, 
It's a weird one to put my finger on because Neeson's pretty good now. Actually. Yeah. When when, yeah. when when he has to do what he has to do, he is pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's it's a convince. I mean, it's quite a balance that he managed. And you know, he's, a lot of people will say, "Well, he's just playing the same role again." But there's he's there's not. a balance between playing an alcoholic and playing somebody who you can actually believe can actually come up and do this stuff. You know. Yeah. And also have the not want to do it and being tortured by doing it and yeah, having the uh, that thing in the back of your head just the the flip switch the, the switch gets flipped and you just do it because it's your nature. Yeah. That... I think that's more so in this than any other film of this type that he's done. Yeah. That that he gets that it's like oh, just like automatic. Yeah, I, was, I mean the film never at one point makes him seem like he's un. Unt- Invincible or anything either. No, no, oh no, 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 no. I think I think the film's problems are just the the triteness. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I think the the chaseness. The the, re- the, re- the re- relentless father son uh, motifs. Uh, the uh, yeah. the chase scenes are, uh, are probably a little bit overdone. I mean, it, it it's it's fine. It, it it does what it says on the tin. I don't think many people are going to go in there and think this is a horrible film by any stretch of imagination. Oh, no. But, um, no, definitely not. But um, I think um, it does look cheap, especially with all the sort of like uh, supposed helicopter shots. Uh. <laughs> you mean the, the Sweeney Todd esque? Yeah, yeah. The, I, mean, well, I was going to say Tom Hooper, Lane Oh, don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sort of like, it's a bit Danny Boyle as well. It's like, yeah. but I th- I think that is less offensive here because there are so many characters, too many characters in it, that it needs to navigate them all. And I think just cross cut between them all would you'd be like, well, who's this? And who's this? Yeah. But um, it's I was thinking there's probably a a bit of more of an economic way of doing this. Yeah. But that's probably in the writing as well. C- could have done with a bit more help. Hmm. There's mm. some bits that really irks me, like just simple things, like when they evacuate the building and they just leave the hob on. I mean, what? Well, not even that. It's just, um, I think that's kind of what I mean. It's just like, um, you're, um, how do they get out of that situation? It's, they don't even show it properly. Well, why um, don't, I mean, yeah, but it's like both the police just leave the hob on. It's like the people, they just... They don't realise afterwards. Oh God, I've left the hob on. I'll tell somebody. <laughs> and they could easily do it another way. Like they could easily do it to do with candles. Or candles in the bathroom falling over from the ruckus and nobody realising. It's all very, you know. There are a lot of writing problems here. Like yeah. the, I don't buy the whole common hitman uh, thread to it, and how he no, comes that's, back that's... at the end. That's that. That is the worst part of the film. That that thread, uh, where you it's road to perdition vibes. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in that Jude Law thing is the worst part of road to perdition. Um, but um, it's a, it's a, it's one of these ones where if you if you walked into my work for example, you said you know what, nobody in there would hate it. Yeah, it's like, you know, what, what, what are you saying to most of them? Yeah, go, yeah, watch it. It's decent. Yeah. But I, I act I would watch it again. And I actively like enjoyed watching it. Um 
originally. I just think there's too much convenient about it. The detective, I think he's too understanding. No, um, um, it's uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, isn't it? Is that who it is? Yeah. Who's in the cell? Grateful. Mm. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, but I think he's still too understanding, even though they try to I think he married. I think he married Greta Scacchi, actually. Did he? Always with her. What's she doing now? Age-appropriate hotness. <laughs> last time, last thing I saw him was um, that I remember seeing him was Brighthead Revisited, where she was Gambon's missus. I don't think I've seen her in anything apart from the player, maybe. Oh God! Oh well, well, Cal. <laughs> let me let me give you a brief history of her. <laughs> Greta. <laughs> <laughs> God. No, she was um, she was in the um, uh, the Judy Christie uh, Heat and Dust, which is mm. uh, a, a um, yeah. Which I just bought. I just bought uh, the novel, Ivory actually. Merchant Ivory. Yeah, Merchant Ivory, and uh, she um, it's like the dual narrative of uh, Judy Christie uh, going to India to like see what her grandmother or used to, or great aunt used to do, and uh, <laughs> Sketchy plays Sketchy plays her, and, and she's the be- uh, again. It, it, she's it's like she's up there with. Um, Knudsen for like sexiest woman on film ever. <laughs> it's ridiculous how good looking she is. Um, but no, I haven't seen it. Oh, she's on. Oh, she's in Hindenburg. Did you see that thing on TV about four years ago? No, no exactly. She's not really been doing much. But before that, White Ted revisited. The last thing I saw her before that was Good God, Good God, Broken Trail. That's a TV movie with um. I want to say Thomas Hayden Church, but I know it's, know it's wrong. <laughs> Do you? Anyway. But no, um, yeah. How do, how do we get onto that? <laughs> I've got no idea. I've got no idea how we got into Greta's <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just don't buy that. I think, I think you could iron out a lot of this. I think most of the problems with the films, the writing... I think direction's pretty serviceable. The acting's good. Um, yeah. Mm. B minus. Mm. Um, another five, I think. All the fives. Mm. Greta Scatchy turned down the Sharon Stone role in Basic Instinct. If. <laughs> Oh God! Because she obviously wanted to wear underwear. <laughs> it's not the worst crime in the world. Depends if it's Friday night or not, Cam. Shark <laughs> Mario kill. Speaking of which, yeah. <laughs> right. God, here we go. Right. Um. Sorry, I've just um. Destroyed a fly that was walking across my floor. Um, uh, Shag Rankill, right? So, of the three that I've seen, which are all of similar quality, I would shag the Duke of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would kill Sweet Fonse because I think that has the least reason to exist. And uh, I'd marry Ronald Knight because it would be an easy watch. Cool. 
I would... Mm, this is well, I'd definitely kill Still Life. Mm. I think I would marry Renard Knight and Chag the Duke of Burgundy. Mm. Okay, um, so, the position. Right. Okay. Uh, Duke of Burgundy. Yeah. The Sids. That's not an issue. Uh, we're immediately in second place. Um, sweet France. Uh, Cara's a no poor, then, yeah. Poor man's Tori Amos, yes. Uh, yeah, she's a no. <sighs> um, sweet France. Uh, Williams, I'm actually going to... You know when um, uh, someone gets the same time as someone else in the Olympics and they both get the silver medal? No, you can't do that. That's what's happening. Uh, <laughs> what about personal best or <laughs> season's best? <laughs> well, no, because um, it's not a season's best for uh, Williams. Williams, ten years ago, would have been a yes. Um, season's this uh, year. Whatever. <laughs> um, Roby, even though they, it should really be a Hathaway situation, because the even though she's brunette, which usually would be good for me, Margot is clearly one of those women who's better as a blonde. But the wig is terrible. But Ooh. it's still yes. Wow. You just, there's just no getting around it. Um, Ruth Wilson. Mm. Um, run all night. Uh, uh, Neeson's son's wife, yes. God, yes. Wow. So we've got a joint bronze. Jo- uh, is the, joint third is position. Okay. Um, okay. So she's kind of one foot on the podium. Oh no! It's one of these ones where she was. Um, it's like the boxing or the uh, judo. She um, lost in the semi-final, so she gets a point. <laughs> okay. Sorry. This segment is insane. Okay. <laughs> the carrot gauge is a lot simpler this week. Really? Because <laughs> there's no men in the Duke of Burgundy. Uh, there's only Eddie Marsan is still alive. Mm. Renault Knight, Joel Kinnaman is a no. And, uh, is that the son? Yeah. Mm. Liam Neeson is a no. There's nobody else of worth in the film. So it's a 1.0 on the gauge. What a shit or not? Have you just seen a... Watch the trailer. I know. Well, no. I can't. I, c- I can't remember the trailer. And he's got a chavish haircut considering he's playing a Nazi. Chavish? A Nazi chav? Is that what he is? Basically, well for him. <laughs> it wouldn't Just look imagine like a Burberry it SS look, it, uniform. It, his haircut wouldn't look amiss if he was in the back four for whole city. Oh my god. Well, Tiger. <laughs> um, we have a website. It's movepodcast.com. Uh, we're on mm. Facebook in the Move for Podcast, Twitter at Move for Podcast, and uh, we're on iTunes, Feedburn, and Stitcher. Ask us a question if you've if that tickles your fancy. Yeah, apparently a lot of you do listen to us, but none of you ever ask a question apart from three people. Yeah. So, speak up. Uh, next week we have Insurgent. Yeah, which is the biggest halfway known to man based on the trailer. Okay. I'd still... I'm going to have... If I see that, I'm going to have to watch Divergent in the next week. 
Yes, you are. We also have Mummy. Oh my god, I saw the trailer for that, and I didn't know what it was. And I was watching it, I was thinking, good god, what is this uh, commercial French bollocks that they're showing at this cinema? And why the hell is Ellie Goulding playing over this? Commercial? Yeah, that's what I thought it was really, I thought it looked like a really, really commercial. What best newcomer 17 year old best new coming actor Cesar did this get nominated for that's what I was thinking when I didn't know what this actually was God. we also have Suzanne B next week mm. with a second chance starring what is this, the, appropriately titled after a, a, was Serena. It Selena Serena Selena <laughs> 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 Lopez <laughs> um, <laughs> This has got every man and his dog in. It's got um, Nikolai Lee Cass, Maria Bonavi, uh, mm. Nikolai Costa Valdau. Everybody in the world called Nikolai. Yeah. Mm. Apart from. <laughs> Who is that? What? Nikolai Davidenko? Da- Davidenko, yeah. Um, we also have Ryan Reynolds. E- everyone, in this, everyone in this film is going to try when they serve. <laughs> <laughs> With Ryan Reynolds and um, Gemma Arterton in The Voices. There is an, two animated films, one called Home, one called The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Right. So there's quite a lot next week. Mm. Do you have a jam? I do. My jam is called Fumbling for the Light by Ola Podrida. Okay. Um, I don't have one this week. Nah. Ola Padrida. Uh, Ola Podrida. Podrida. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm gonna go back to uh, watching Cat Dennings judge drag drag queens fashion. So is she taking over from Kathy Griffin then? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a different show. It's her and... It's, it's, it's Nick and Nora's input playlist too. <laughs> it's, like, it's, um, it's not just her though, it's Mel B as well. <laughs> Ironic considering uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, the Nasty Professor. <laughs> Your game was in 